family, and Happy New Year. It is officially 2023. House Talk pregame is back to kick off the new year with you right and proper. I changed my, my titles and my, my credentials a little bit in light of some things that are moving around in, in the world and what have you. So I am sports athletic family therapist and couple marriage and family therapist, Dr. Lauren Pitts. Who's that guy right there, you all? Y'all know who he is. I am the credentials in waiting uh, former student athlete. <laughs> I'm Ronnie Ransom. Welcome back, everybody. And we have a very, very special guest back with us today to kick yes. off our new year, Dr. Mark Allen. Happy New Year, uh, Dr. Allen. How are you today? Good. I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me back, y'all. Awesome. Good. Good. I have a, I have a, a two-part question for both y'all to kick the, to kick our show off real quick. Okay. So, Dr. Piss, I'll start with you. Okay. What's one thing you learned in 2022? And what's one goal you have for 2023? The one thing that I learned in 2022 is that I love you like a son, but you're going to always hate and be mean to me because of my Dallas Cowboys. And, and what I learned, what my goal is in 2023. Um, so now let me be serious. So what I learned in 2022 um, is that when it comes to behavioral and mental health, at least from what I've seen, particularly in the athletic arena, and truth be told, even beyond the athletic arena, people, there's a lot of conversation. There's mm -hmm. a lot of chatter about it, but I'm seeing, I'm still seeing, and I would love to get you all's opinion as we navigate today's topic, which is ironic considering that that topic was set at the beginning of last year. But anyway, um, there still seems to be a disconnect mm -hmm. where the, the urgency of mental health being a priority um, is concerned. And, and certainly in this past week, we've seen a different level of urgency. But as one of the ESPN commentators said, that it's, it's troubling that it takes tragedy to see the urgency elevated. Whereas mm -hmm. that level of urgency should be, a, it, it should be proactive, right? It, we shouldn't have to wait for a tragedy to happen for mental health to be genuinely and sincerely on the forefront. Um, it, 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 we need to get more systems and measures in place. So that's what I learned, that there's still a tremendous opportunity for this work that we all do that we're so passionate about. And, and there definitely needs to be a much bigger presence um, of behavioral mental health um, credentialed uh, individuals in the athletic world. Um, in 2023, my goal is to add additional credentials for myself where um, that, that will be instrumental in helping me to take my contribution to the world of sports to another dimension. Um, because I, and that's the other thing that I learned in 2022 that's connected to what I want to achieve in 2023. Um, we don't hear family systems conversation around behavioral mental health in the athletic arena. And in individual athletes, are, there's not linear existence. 
there's there's a family system as we've seen this week, right? Family as in the team and the organization, but also family of origin and extended family. And, and as a family systems-based clinician, um, mm -hmm. we, we have to be able to connect those dots. And I wanna be instrumental in doing that in 2023. So definitely my primary goal is to add those additional credentials that will position me to be able to do that more effectively. All right, thank you for sharing. Dr. Mm -hmm. Allen. Yeah, I, you know, as I reflect back on 2022, it was a, it was a big year for me. I became a dad, uh, which, uh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> he's, he's hilarious, and if you hear a screaming child upstairs, that's, that would be, that is. Um, but, but, but seriously, it, I think it, it jives so much with the topic we're gonna be talking about today is that we're such social creatures. And social connection is so important. And even though he is, you know, super young, nonverbal, it is very clear to me that he is a sponge and he picks up on social engagement and he wants to learn. And, you know, as when we're talking about the history of trauma, one of the biggest ways that you can overcome that is community and social connection. And that'll be something we talk about later on in the conversation. But it's just, it's so easy for me to see just even from like being six months old that we never really change over time that we really do crave that social connection in 2023 this this new this new year um you know i've had a lot of health challenges in my family and i'm really hoping uh that we can overcome those health stumbling blocks but focusing on and on health is, is a priority is, is definitely biggest for me among that mental health is is super important I'm, I'm I'm starting to see, at least in the sports landscape, more of a focus on mental health as being part of just health and that mm -hmm. people are taking it seriously in all the different major leagues uh, as far as having people available to talk about um, how we're feeling because that we're all people at, at the core. Uh, right. While we might be interested and enjoy <laughs> playing sports, uh, you know, that if we don't address our underlying being, the, the performance is irrelevant, but it's also affected by how we're feeling. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing. Um, one thing I learned in, in 2022, um, uh, my supervisor has um, this quote that he has on all his emails and everything. And it says, compassion leads to understanding. Um, and I'm really big on being compassionate and understanding, especially as I've grown into being a more well-rounded therapist and just a, a, a better overall human being. Um, I think a lot of times we we ignore insight and call it excuses as to why people do what they do, as opposed to really understanding that, to your point, Dr. Pitts, about family systems, and I'm actually um, reading uh, Schwartz's book on internal family systems and whatnot, and how, you know, the how we internalize a lot of our emotions, thoughts, and feelings, how, you know, we kind of have a family within ourselves and how we kind of defend ourselves, you know, from external traumas, forces, and whatever the case may be. But a lot of the times, you know, people say they understand, but their actions say different. Um, you know, we have a lot of impatient people. We have a lot of entitled people and things like that. And I'm big on understanding. And I think for me, one of the biggest things that have helped me not only as a therapist, but as a, as a human being is understanding that a lot of the times what people say is simply projection of insecurities most more times than not. And when you can understand that when somebody's projecting insecurities, when you can learn not to internalize that and focus on the issue at hand, you build compassion. 
And because without compassion, you fail to you'll fail to understand that person and their hurt, their trauma, their setbacks, their insecurities. So um, that was one of the things I've had to learn personally and professionally <clears throat> for the new year. Um, I'll be honest, this was the first time in a very long time that I actually wrote down my goals. Um, so I, I said in 2023 that I was, you know, going to do a lot of things different. Um, I'm third. I'll be 30 next month. Um, you know, so new decade, new challenges, new adventures and stuff like that. But I always tell people, you know, your 30s is kind of like your 20s, just with more experience and wisdom, hopefully, you know, in theory, you know, in theory, you know. But um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to the new year. Um, I have a total of 19 goals, personal, professional, financial and relationship goals that I wrote down this year. Um, so I'm excited to really hold myself accountable and, and find a new level of discipline to, you know, check off all 19 goals. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this year. I, I haven't said I've been looking forward to a new year in a very long time. So I'm looking forward to this new year and what it brings and what unfolds. So, yeah, um, I'm super excited to get into this show today because we have a very important topic, like Dr. Piss alluded to, um, everything that took place this week um, in the NFL. Um, we're going to be talking about supporting athletes with PTSD. You know, a lot of times people say, well, you know, why would an athlete have PTSD? Can that cause, you know, how can an athlete have that? You know, can it cause trauma and how does PTSD affect athletes? You know, we know the symptoms of PTSD may significantly impact athletes, psychosocial and sports related functioning through avoidance, hypervigilance and disassociative behaviors, which in turn may delay recovery from musculoskeletal injury. So we're going to be talking about, you know, what took place this week in the NFL the response, you know, everything that's been going on around that. And, you know, what can we share with our athletes, their parents and families, you know, on how to handle this, process this, and hopefully find some type of, you know, solutions for, you know, your student athletes, your families and everything to keep them as safe as possible in whatever sport they play. So um, I'm ready to get started. Dr. Pitts, did you have a mental health tip of the week that you wanted to share this week? I, you know, it, it never even crossed my mind. Um, no, because I think that this is such a a critical topic and particularly in light of everything that has transpired since the Monday night game, I think it's going to all come out anyway. So I'll 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 just reserve it for our discussion because it'll it'll come forth. OK, all right. I don't have a mental health tip of the week. You know, I'm, I'm ready to get right into this. Let's go. Um, so. Like we said, everybody, well, I'm not gonna say everybody was watching Monday Night Football this week, but um, if you had a, if you had a, a chance to watch the game, um, we saw a very unfortunate uh, scene unfold during the game in the first quarter um, with uh, Bill Safety DeMar Hamlin um, for a brief period of time, you know, not only being unconscious, but actually, you know, passing away on the field um, for several minutes. Um, their head athletic trainer, I, the coach just mentioned his name yesterday, but I can't think of it, but he, you know, sprung the action and, you know, they really, you know, they brought him back to life, was able to stabilize him. Um, and as of yesterday, he is um, awake, alert, the breathing tube is out of his mouth. Um, they believe that a lot of his neurological functioning will return back to normal over time. Um, and so, of a very, 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 very scary situation that unfolded Monday night by yesterday has seemed to be that there is some type of light at the end of the tunnel for this young man. Um, this 24 year old man who, you know, like a lot of us as, as student athletes, former and current, 
have this dream of making it to the professional leagues, making it to the NFL, NBA, MLB, whatever the case may be. And one of the first things I thought once, you know, they said he was okay is like, man, like his life will never be the same again. You know, at 24 years old, he, I, I would imagine he probably has a completely different outlook on life. Um, and I'll be honest, and, and me and Dr. Pitts were talking about it before the show. Um, if it comes back that there was no pre-existing condition, you know, no pre-existing heart condition, whether it's heart murmur, heart defect, or whatever the case may be, that would really change my perspective on a lot of things because, I mean, I don't know on average how many times a football player, whether it's little league, high school, college, or professionals, hit somebody over the course of a game. If I had to take a guess, well over 50 times you were in some type of physical contact by, you know, per play over the course of a game. And from what looked like a very routine, you know, hit and tackle, you know, in real speed, now granted, you know, from TV, you don't really get a perspective of how fast these athletes are moving. You know, on average, you know, NFL athletes are moving anywhere from 15 to 20 miles an hour per play. And, you know, um, the, the Cincinnati receiver T Higgins is by no means an imagination, a small man. I believe he's like 6'2", 6'3", 220, maybe 215-ish running 15, 20 miles an hour into another person who 6162, buck 90, 200, also running at 15, 20 miles an hour. And he lowered his shoulder, you know, unfortunately in the, the wrong spot at the right time. And, you know, we saw that unfold. And it, it was uh, it was scary. You know, I, and I was telling Dr. Pitts, I've seen a lot of nasty injuries, you know, over the course of my playing years. I was telling her, you know, uh, the playoff game we played at State, we were playing LIU Post, and uh, we were on defense, and I was sitting on the sidelines, and I could hear the running back's legs snap from the sideline, like complete snap, compound fracture, broke the skin and everything, could hear it clear as day through the crowd, through the band playing, all of that. And that was probably one of the nastiest injuries I've heard and saw. You know, I had a teammate who – who's he was on his stomach and his foot is pointing up in the air. You know, um, I've seen some crazy things. I even had a, a teammate in high school have a brain bleed on the field um, from a concussion and everything. But to see somebody, you know, pass away briefly, you know, on national television during a game that we all love and adore so much, despite its physicality, despite its, you know, roughness and everything, you know, <laughs> I was already, I ain't gonna lie, I was already iffy about, you know, when my son gets older playing football just due to concussions, but boy, like you're talking about adding another dynamic to like, man, that like, that's just, it, it, it was just crazy. So what are you guys' opinions on, on what transpired Monday night? Oh, doc, I think she's letting you go first, Dr. Allen. Sorry about that. Uh, you know, the thing that struck me the most was how both teams came together, the players on the field, and created a human wall around Lamar so that they protected his humanity, so that yes. the, uh, the first responders could do their job, who did a great job, were Absolutely. able to stabilize him, get him on the ambulance, and then get him um, to the emergency room, and obviously to start start that process um, and the, the fact that even his mom was able to run along, which I think was a good prognostic sign at the time. Um, but it was, it was the fact that the players realized that, okay, we, we need to protect him. And they both right. came together. It was, it, they were brothers in arms essentially. Um, you know, 
as far as actually what transpired, assuming it was commotio cordis, which is a very rare event where basically the heart is hit in the, in the one in a million spot and that it can essentially stop. It usually happens in like lacrosse or baseball, like where the ball will hit in the chest. Um, and again, it's super, super, super rare. Um, the fact is it was, it was extremely dangerous and, he, and he's, he's obviously very lucky, but he had, we had good people there to, to take care of him. And, um, you know, certainly they saved his life. Um, I'm glad now that he's, uh, he actually even kind of cracked a joke when he woke up saying who won the game. And then apparently, you know, I'm hearing this like totally third hand. Apparently the, the doctor said, well, son, you won the game of life. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, hmm. And I, I imagine he probably doesn't even remember the play before and obviously not, you know, that play or anything immediately after, which, I mean, they said his first thing was, you know, who won the game and everything. Um, and it, I really appreciate the medical staff. I always say to people, you know, if you see an ambulance on the field, it's not a good sign. You know, normally they'll bring the little, you know, little golf cart out there with the stretcher and everything. But, you know, they I, I applaud both teams, like you said, for being able to cover him make sure that the medical staff was able to do what they needed to do and, you know, really, really help this young man. Um, Dr. Pitts, what, what were some of your thoughts on, on Monday night? Um, agreeing wholeheartedly um, with, with what Dr. Allen said. And then the other part of it was, and this won't surprise either of you, is I was in mom mode. I immediately, I immediately went to mom mode and the tears just started flowing. And, and I started praying and I told my husband, I was like, you know, there, there's no way, there's no way they can finish this game. These men are human. And i literally, I went, I was just in protective lioness mom mode and they better not finish this game. And they're going to need to get all these men. Like I, it was totally my protective instincts as a mom kicked in and secondarily as a clinician, as it relates to the mental health aspect of it, because, and, and it was crazy because I didn't even remember that our topic today was supporting athletes with PTSD. But right. when I was in, in real time and, and talking to my husband about it, I was like, These have, this is going to cause PTSD. Like there's, there's no way. I said, there's going to be vicarious trauma and I'm, I'm going off. I literally was spazzing and I'm crying. And he's like, are you okay? I'm like, no, like, I'm not okay. You know, and it's, and, you know, I was able to bring it down, but still like, I, I as I said to you before the show, as, as a mom, I've been discombobulated literally all week. And my heart goes out to his mom and to his entire family, right? Because she was in stands. And I'm like, and everybody knows I'm crazy when it comes to my kids. So I'm like, I can't even, I can't even imagine what was going through her mind. It's my baby. Cause you know, right. and I said, like, you're my surrogate son. Right. But it doesn't make a difference. I'm 55, but I'm my mom and dad's baby. We're, right. you're, we're our, ba our parents' babies for life. And I'm like, her baby is laying on the field lifeless. And that, that was why that protective wall mm -hmm. that, that they put around him so that the media cameras couldn't see so that it was phenomenal. It was, that's the humanity of it. That, and I say that all the time. That's, <clears throat> that's my reframe for what you said in the beginning of the show, right? It's like, we have to meet people in a place of common humanity with an open mind and an open heart. Anybody think about football? 
Mm-hmm. And my thing about football, and that was the second part. I don't, I don't know that lady, and I'm not going to say this in a derogatory way, but I was irritated. The, the ESPN team that was on, um, I don't know if it was that night or if it was the next morning, but it was a female and the two guys. And might have been might have been doing the broadcast. Yeah, um, I can't. It, it was it, it was it, an African American guy. Did they call him Booger or something like that? Well, yeah, Booger. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That, that was doing. The, yeah, that was doing the broadcast. Yeah, it was the African American um, guy. It was the Caucasian guy, and it was this chick. And I'm like, I need her to shut up, because because that was her. No, like that was my mom mode too, right? It's like that's my clinical brain said that's her nervous energy talking. Like mm-hmm. she, it's like, I don't know what to say. So I'm just going, I was like, could she, and then I was getting saved. And my husband was like, just chill. And I'm like, no, I need her to shut up. I need her to Cause Booger, Booger was like, Booger was like, there's no, there's no way they're playing this game. There's no right. way. Right. And she's just talking to like, I was like, oh my God, can somebody please tell her shut up. <laughs> I, I definitely feel, I think, you know, you know what else it, it reminded me of now? Now, granted, he wasn't actively playing at the time. But we're actually coming up on the three-year anniversary of Kobe's passing. Right. And, you know, I thought how, about that this morning. Like, I will never forget where I was at 105 on January 26th when my wife told me that he passed away. Like, I will never yeah. forget where I'm at. And we saw the, you know, the aftermath of that within the NBA, how, you know, they stopped games for a couple of days, like, you know. Everybody, you know, it was it was just such a traumatic event, and especially in the way that it happened, and all the right. other families that you know lost their loved ones that day as well in that crash. You know, that was one of the first things I thought about when it happened. Is just you know, like how many lives you know is this going to impact? And right. we were talking about it before the show. You know, like this, they have. I don't know if they're playing NFL games today, but obviously, you know, the last yeah, they, uh, are. they are. Okay, yeah. So yeah. I'm going to be in the national I, championship for colleges today, Georgia and TSU. Is tonight. That's Monday. The, uh, uh, I thought they said it was today. tonight. Hmm. FES is uh, North Dakota State versus South Dakota State is tonight. It's today. Well, today at two. And okay. then that's Monday night. Okay. Yeah, so that's Monday night. But to your point, like, and I said this I, I said this before the show, you know, um, if it's not a pre-existing condition, I, I wonder how that, you know, like you said, you know, do you think players will maybe be more timid or maybe, you know, be more cautionary about how they play um I don't know if I if I found myself in that position I would think that maybe by the time the game gets started and you get that first hit out the way for me personally as a player I had to get that first hit out the way you know mm-hmm. I, you know the butterflies the anxiety and stuff like that before the game until I got that first hit out the way you know I you know kind of a little nervous but you get that first hit you good to go you're like okay cool I'm good but I wonder for, you know, how a lot of these, especially the, the the Bengals and the Bills, especially the Bills, if they play today or tomorrow, you know, how are they going to come together as a team and go out there literally just less than six days after, you know, this event? Um, and we talked about PTSD and, you know, some of the signs like that, especially, you know, loss of sleep, you know, having the reoccurring thoughts or something that triggers, whether it's a sound or, you know, a smell or even just a, a sight, hearing something can trigger somebody and put them back in that state of mind where it's like, Oh, like, I don't know about this. Can, can I comment on that? Because I, I think that it's important, um, if you would, for Dr. Allen to give us the psychiatric perspective on that, because, I mean, we've all been glued to the TV, right? But when you hear these different press conferences, 
these players, the coaches, they're, they're literally saying in their press conferences, and I don't know, I'm sure that the mental health professionals that are working with them have identified it, but they're, they're, they're telling us that they're experiencing the symptoms of PTSD. They are. Right. Josh Allen, when I, when I was looking at the press conference that he did, I think it was Thursday. Yes. I think it was yesterday. He, yesterday, whenever it was, because like yeah, I said, yeah. I, I have it on even when I'm in session, it's just muted. But he, you know, he kept getting choked up and he's talking it, and he's he, like, he said, I can't get it out of my head. Like you, mm-hmm. you, you, you see it, you hear it, you feel it. And as you're talking mm-hmm. to different players around, that's what I was saying, the, vic- the vicarious trauma, right? Mm-hmm. As you're, you're listening to the different athletic individuals, players and coaches and, and former players and coaches and trade and everybody. And, and even the, the commentators Folk have PTSD. Folks have, it, it is like this widespread, you know what it feels like? And Dr. Allen, please share your perspective on this. It feels like athletic 9-11. Mm. That's, what it, that's what it felt like. That's what it feels like to me because it was like, you know, Columbine and there were different things, but 9-11 impacted the, like the entire nation just slammed on brakes and came to this huge, PTSD cold. And I, and I, that's what it feels like to me. It feels like athletic 9 11. Well, that's such an eloquent way of describing it. I mean, this is on Monday night football. That was a, a prime time game that such a tragic event happened in front of everyone. And, you know, it, it, it the commentators had such an impossible task of 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 kind of filling airtime to to because no yeah. one knew, no one knew what was going on or what was going to end up happening. Now the obvious answer was we're going to cancel the game. Right. I immediately thought they're not going to suspend the game or postpone the game. This game just isn't going to happen. And it eventually didn't. It, well, you know, with yesterday or whatever, they came out and decided that they're just not going to play it and. I don't know if it's going to be a coin toss now or whatever, or whatever but for the seating. Um, but it's those those people who are watching the the, the it wasn't just the, the the players in the field or the coaching staff, but also the commentators every and the fans in the stadium who probably had less information than those watching on TV unless they had a broadcast on both ways. Can you imagine sitting in that stadium for you know a couple hours waiting and then also being like, oh my god, what? what what was that this is awful i mean right. so it, it just it starts becoming a bit of an echo chamber so you talk about vicarious trauma and these players of course they're affected so so what do you do how do they move forward they have you have to be able to process it in the moment because you the whole point is you can't change the fact that they were exposed to an acute stress they were right we don't want it to progress to ptsd or something basically where you have these lingering symptoms that persist and Technically, the DSM criteria says it lasts more than a month, but whatever, it's irrelevant. They're still going to have all that hypervigilance and the, the vulnerability, all that stuff can happen. Um, you, you need to have, bring them together. So no doubt, the mental health professional that's, that was attached to the team has brought those guys together, both teams, probably every team has had the exact same thing, because no doubt all the other teams were watching Monday Night Football too. And they, and they, just, had, they just had it space for them to talk, share their right. feelings. There was no, no, no real agenda. It should be pretty free form. Allow them to dump, allow them to dump, but then move on. So it's very much, a, it, it was almost a, uh, um, uh, a 
a, a, an offshoot of the concept of treatment for, for PTSD, which is mindfulness. And then we're still moving forward. So a right. yes and approach, not a yes, but approach. And, and that if you have either of you familiar with this book, the body keeps the story. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, this is sort of like the classic text for to learn about treatment of PTSD, but also just to understand what your body goes through when it's been exposed to trauma. You know, this classic text has only really been around for eight years. Mm -hmm. It was written in 2014. And that was, that was even after I finished training. It's so, highly recommended. I've heard a lot of people recommend that book. Mind you, it's, it's based off of uh, Dr. Vander Kolk's research for 30 plus years. Mm -hmm. uh, so I didn't mean to like jump to that, but there's <laughs> something that people can read and there's something that people can do. And there's so many different ways that you can treat these feelings that arise in you. So making sure that they're not alone, the social connection, making sure that pe people can process that we're now going to move forward. So how did these guys get ready to play in their game today? Well, my guess is, and you know, God bless that he woke up, right? It, right. It, it would be a completely different dis, uh, discussion if he, they had an, an, the other alternative. Um, right. These guys are now probably, I'm hoping, will rise to the occasion and win one for the Gipper sort of yeah. thing. And yeah. I, I, I mm. tend to think that, that that's exactly what they're going to do. And the Bengals also, uh, hopefully everybody will end up rising to the occasion. So, um, yeah. all right, I'll pause. Can I ask you a follow-up question to that, Dr. Allen? And it just... I mean, because we're clinicians, right? I I wonder, doesn't it stand to reason in a situation like that? You know, as clinicians, we're all taught that we should have a therapist too, right? So when you think about the on-staff clinicians for the teams with something of this magnitude, it's, it would seem like, because we're talking 52 men roster, 53 right. men roster, that's a whole lot of trauma to process right. and what does that look like for the clinicians that are working with this huge roster of traumatized individuals and oh by the way that's just the players that's not even the coaches and the trainers and the owners and literally everybody associated with each NFL organization and the the additional support that the clinicians are going to need that are providing care for these individuals. And it's, and that's why I said, you know, for 2023, like I, there needs to be a much greater presence of us in the, the, you know, in the, uh, in the athletic world across all sports, in my opinion. I, I do want to, to answer that question. I do want to uh, do a quick shout out to minds in motion therapy um, who also um, they're a Black-owned uh, counseling organization who actually have a contract with the NFL Hall of Fame. Um, they have another company called Hall of Fame Health. And one of the statements they released uh, Monday night and Tuesday morning was that they were offering free counseling services to obviously the Bills and Bengals and their entire organization, but also their family members. Um, and I did see the NFL said that they did have um, mental health uh, clinicians for each team and their friend and for their family members as well for anybody who needed to process, you know, obviously what happened Monday. And, I'll, you know, I think one of the things that we also know that trauma does is too, and, and, and Dr. Allen, I'm glad you uh, made that distinction between acute stress disorder and PTSD, also adjustment disorder. And I don't want to sound too clinical or anything, but this was an adjustment for everybody, you know, 
Um, and so I'm glad the NFL did make a prompt move to make sure that, you know, mental health services are offered to the entire team, organization, staff, uh, administration, and the family members of all those team members and everything. Um, but you're right. Um, just because you have a couple, you know, like you said, you have a 53-man roster, maybe another 20, 25 coaches and trainers and everything. And then, you know, you have the administration and whatnot. So you're looking at each club, you're looking at about maybe three or 4,000 people and then however many family members they have. So yes, a, a very, you know, large amount of people who all saw the same thing and, you know, all having that help offer for them is, is going to be really important. And I think also too, and, and to your point, Dr. Allen, you know, thank God that this didn't go the other way. Um, because I would imagine for somebody like T Higgins, who was the receiver, who was on the, you know, giving in of the hit. <clears throat> and Josh Allen mentioned this yesterday in his co press conference too. He was like, I hope T really knows, you know, that this isn't his fault. Like, you know, and I, and I would hope nobody on this earth would ever blame him for something like that. And, and I always tell people, you know, as a football player, and I'm pretty sure other athletes and other sports feel this way too, but as a football player, we know when you walk on that field and any football player who's played football any amount of time and, you know, played college, played professional, any football player will tell you when you walk on that field, there is a chance every time you step on that field that something can go wrong. Like there is that chance. Just think about, we, and we're going back to the early 2000s. Do y'all remember Eric Legrand, the Buffalo Bills player who on, on opening kickoff, um, I think fractured one of the vertebrae in his neck, paralyzed from the waist down. Remember Ryan Shazier about maybe four or five seasons ago at Cincinnati of all places, a routine tackle put his head down an inch too low. And you saw on the hit when he hit the um, the running, I want to say it was the running back. When he hit him, you saw his whole body go limp, had short-term paralysis for a couple of days. So, you know, and nobody ever blames a person on the other end of that and they shouldn't. And so, you know, I hope somebody like T Higgins can also himself be able to process this and find some type of peace and solace in what happened on Monday and go into the game and not have that on his mind. Any athlete will tell you, if your mind is not clear and focused on the task at hand, on the objective at hand, at the game plan, on the game, if your mind is distracted, you run the risk of injury. If you go out there and play scared, you run the risk of injury. So both of you all make great points in making sure that these players, families, coaches, and all that can have as much of a clear mind as possible. Obviously, you know, for somebody like maybe the Bills and the Bengals, that's an easier task said than done, you know, because they were directly affected by what happened Monday. But all the other 30 teams and all the other friends and families and fans of the game and everything, being able to process that, try and make some peace with it before you step on that field, because if it's on your mind and you play timid or you play scared, you run the risk of injuring yourself or possibly having a, you know, a, a season in the injury, or if you're not careful, a career ending injury. So, you know, I, I, shout out to the NFL for being able to equip, you know, the mental health professionals that they have, um, you know, out there and everything for those teams and whatnot. But, yeah, um, I think, you know, at least for maybe through the rest of this season, um, you know, it's definitely going to linger, um, yeah. you know. And I think, like Dr. Allen said, you know, the Bills, you know, I can think of a thousand other ways to, you know, motivate a team. And, you know, obviously, you know, as athletes, you know, we will find any source of motivation to go out there and do what we got to yeah. do. And I know they're going to go out there and play their hearts out for DeMar Hamlin and everything. Um, but I'm pretty sure they will much rather love having him out there playing with him as opposed to playing for him. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, it, it's, um, 
the next couple of weeks, and obviously, you know, this being, you know, the final week of the regular season, get ready to start playoffs next week and everything. The NFL has already said that, you know, they're possibly going to introduce an eighth seed. So no team has a bye week and we just, you know, play it like that, um, which I mean, hey, nobody expected Monday night to happen. And I think the NFL is doing the best job they can to try and, you know, make some sense of this and sort out, you know, the the logistics of this. And, and I don't know if you all watch, you know, the talk shows day to day, but um skip bayless caught a hell of a lot of heat for his tweet you know granted wrong time absolutely very wrong time to tweet that out i wholeheartedly agree with that but the message i think was all of us you know i I think as athletes you know barring once we saw the details of what happened everything yeah obviously football is the last thing on anybody's mind at that point right but you know when you think about the nfl being a you know a billion dollar industry and stuff like that you know Things like that matter. And those are things that I'm glad they were able to sort out in the best way possible. Yes, you know, that game being finished, would it have been really important to, you know, the playoff seedings and all that? Absolutely. It was an extremely important game. But this man's life was far more important. You know, there's not a price tag, not a dollar amount, not a Super Bowl trophy, MVP trophy that could compare to a human being's life. You know, so I'm glad they decided not to resume the game and finish it. But also, you know, I'm glad of the changes that they're trying to implement, you know, in real time. We're seeing this in real time. It's not like this happened and then it's like, oh, well, what do we do if this situation comes up? No, we're seeing this in real time. And, you know, so the NFL, you know, and a lot of other issues has fumbled the bag, you know, per se, on a lot of other, whether it's a social justice issue and things like that. But for this particular issue right here, I applaud them for taking the necessary steps to do what they've had to do to make sure that this young man is well and safe and also making sure that the uh, other teams and everything have the support staff that they need. I think that it's with, with all of that being said, I think that it's so important, you know, circle back to what Dr. Allen said about, you know, we know that there's various steps that can be taken to help someone who's dealing with PTSD Mm -hmm. and that social support piece. Right. I think that it's so important because this is a system right? The athletic world is a system and it's, it's, it's a brotherhood. It's a sisterhood. It's, it's family. And that athletic family extends to the family of origin and the extended family and what have you. So I think as we, I think that it's important for us to, to tease out and and to illuminate for our listeners, what that social support looks like and why it's so important. Um, because what happens when these types of things happen? You, you, we said, you know, we need to be able to talk about it, right? But there's a way to go about that. And then right. family, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? You want to talk about, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Ah, stop talking to me. <laughs> right? So I think that from a psychiatric perspective, I think that it, it's really important for our audience to understand how to approach that social support, how do they go about helping someone that they love and care about who may be showing signs of PTSD to be able to support them in a way that doesn't do more damage? Dr. Allen, can you speak to that first? What we're trying to avoid is the concept of rumination. So Mm -hmm. you mentioned the Mm 9-11 concept and how maybe this is the sports version of that from Monday night, that Mm -hmm. from 9-11, the vicarious trauma that occurred is that we just kept getting exposed to these images of the plane going into the building over and over. It was just a constant reminder. Mm-hmm. Right. 
where I was going with this earlier is that you have to be able to process it, but then have a, a mechanism by which you can move on so you're not mm -hmm. stuck return back mm -hmm. to the past. Uh, you have to be able to sit in it and accept it. This mm -hmm. is sort of like the mindfulness concept of, of really within DBT to be able to sit in it and say, you know, this, this is not comfortable. Right. right. And I'm still going to press on. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so how to, how to do this, say you have a struggling family member, you, you allow them to dump. You say, all right, what, what is it that I can help you with? What do you need? And then let's, let's get you, referred to a mental health professional that does this for a living and the best ones that do this form of therapy have actually sat in on themselves as you kind of alluded to earlier uh, but there is a wide variety of options on learning how to turn off the sympathetic nervous system when it's out of whack you know the brain its only real goal here is for survival but you know when when you loses the concept of time and, and situation in the midst of a trauma and then that's gone, you know, the sympathetic nervous system will fly off the handle at, the, at any small stressor. So you have to learn how to control that in the moment. Easiest being is breathing techniques, focusing mm -hmm. on breath when you're in the midst of a stressful situation. And there, and there are mental health professionals who can guide you through that. But it's not just, you know, a cognitive behavioral form or an offshoot of cognitive behavioral therapy, DBT, or cognitive processing therapy, which of which there are all these acronyms Mm -hmm. all forms that are trying to get to the same goal mm -hmm. there's going to be something that might work for somebody that's not necessarily this the standard i mean there mm -hmm. I mean, so the concept of rhythmic drumming and community can be helpful mm -hmm. uh you know, have ha yoga getting mm -hmm. body work so even just saying hey <laughs> you, you want to like go go get like therapeutic massage and just release mm -hmm. There, there are so many different options. And so I don't want the person who's struggling to think that the only thing that is available is to go sit in a boring room and talk at someone or and to get feedback. That simply right. is not true. Now, that can be helpful if done in the correct way and they're guided. Right. And can I, can I interject real quick, Dr. Pitts? Because I want I wanted both of you all to touch on this because both of you all do such a beautiful job of being clinical and making it make sense. Well, you know, I just, I give the the uh, the dumbed down version, but can you all touch on and do you all feel like, you, you know, because we know athletes by nature are, you know, reserved in a sense, you know, where we're kind of like, I can't allow external forces to get in the way of what I'm trying to get done. And here we have this external force that happened that, you had no choice but it for to grab your attention. And we know for a lot of our athletes, specifically, you know, football players, talking about emotions and talking about, you know, difficulties and traumas and things like that was a, a task, you know, is a task itself beforehand, you know, getting somebody, getting an athlete to open up who they use that, sometimes they use that trauma as their athletic edge, they use that as their motivation, they use that as their crutch to be the person and have the athletic identity that they have. So, you know, speaking about that, how can how can we help support the family members and friends of these athletes to better understand, you know, how athletes can process PTSD and also, you know, acute stress disorder and adjustment disorders in a way, like I said, having an understanding and knowing that just because they might not be talking about it, what are some of the, the, the body languages or what are some of the behaviors that they might exhibit that, you know, the family members and friends can have a really good, you know, understanding of how to just be supportive of them? Um, uh, the, 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 
there's a few things um, that, that I'll touch on real quick, but the, one of the first things that comes to mind is, and, and I alluded to it, right, is don't pressure people to talk. It's like, and, and Dr. Allen, you said it, right? It's like, create that space for them to talk, create that space for them to dump, but don't force them to dump. Create that emotional safe space for them that when you're ready to talk, I'm here to listen. No pressure. It, and, and just create that safe space and nurture that emotionally safe space so that they know that whenever they're ready, you're there to listen. And the, the other big part of it is, is don't, and this is, this one's, a, I think is a big deal too, right? It's like, don't put words in their mouth. Don't, in other words, don't lead them in the conversation. Don't tell them how they feel. Let them tell you how they feel right? Um, because that can be, you know, you're, you're already on edge. You're already frustrated and annoyed and aggravated on my yards. You don't want somebody telling you how you feel. You, you, you can imagine how I feel, but you don't know because you didn't just see your, your teammate and your boy, like he died in front of me. I was right there. I saw him lifeless. I saw his, so you, eh, no, you, you, you can imagine but you don't know exactly how I feel. So let them tell you how they feel. And be, you gotta be patient with them. You have to be patient with them. You have to be able to manage your own stress because what do we know to be true? People that we love and care about, if they're out of sorts, we're out of sorts. But you gotta be able to manage your own, I call it, you know, you gotta deal with your own junk so that you're not projecting your junk onto them and making them that much heavier because they don't need your, your baggage. And then the other thing is you got to educate yourself. You have to. And, and oh, by the way, it's not, it's like you educating yourself doesn't mean, well, the PTSD guidebook says like, no, you can't because it's situation specific and everybody is going to process it differently because when we look at everybody's life experience, that traumatic event may have brought up other traumatic experiences that one of the other players had related to a, a, a loved one being killed in front of them. Or, a, or it, So there's so many moving parts that it's going to be situation specific and folks have to be able to respect that. There's no cookie cutter approach to healing this. Okay. Yeah, that was really well said. Um, I wanted to touch on something that we probably should have mentioned earlier about his prevalence of PTSD in athletes is related to the general public. It's actually more common, like around 13%. Um, and, and it has something to do, mind you, there's always there's always uh, traumatic priming, like so the ACEs score, that, that has to be kind of kept in mind that someone is probably more likely to develop it over time. And also just the way in which they interact with their social environment. But the concept, especially when you get to the elite level, you know, college, pro, uh, Olympic, whatever, it becomes part of the athletic identity. And so say you got injury, and not necessarily to the degree of DeMar Hamlin, but someone like breaks their leg, tears their ACL, especially with ACL injuries that require like a lot of... Um, uh, Alex Smith is a good yeah, example. Nailed it. Yeah. I mean, my gosh, that guy, I mean, talk about it, a miracle coming back and then playing really well, yes. uh, but um, the resilience, right? Uh, the, 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 when you lose your athletic identity, mm. 
due to the injury and it's, it's abrupt. It's not like they got to choose when the end of their career was or whatever. And then you just drop off a cliff and then it's like, well, who am I now? That, that can be, we, we, we talked about that and y'all have actually had episodes about that. And I don't want to necessarily go there, but that can be quite traumatic. And yes. so filling in that gap, helping people have space to discuss sort of what, what's next, um, you know, how do you feel? And then what's next? Again, again another kind of tra- trauma uh, therapy phrasing. Um, kind of forgot exactly the question that I was wanting to answer. And I just went off on a tangent. <laughs> a, no, just like, how, you know, how can we, how, how do we, we support families? Yeah, how do we support the family and friends of these athletes who like you, you made a great point too about the ACE study and that being a predetermined factor for the amount of trauma somebody might have been exposed to through their childhood mm-hmm. because that is extremely important. And you know, a lot of our athletes, especially a lot of our Af- African American athletes, they tend to have on average, you know, higher ACEs scores, you know, not to say in the other races and whatnot, but you know, they do tend to have higher ACEs scores and everything. And that does play an impact because once again, you know. Mm-hmm being able to be forthcoming and acknowledge. And I always tell people, mm-hmm. you know, everybody expresses their emotions, whether or not, whether or not you, you know, need to express it, everybody does it. But understanding mm-hmm. the triggers behind your emotions is mm-hmm. important. But when you're not able to get to a space where you can recognize and acknowledge those mm-hmm. feelings that you're expressing, that can make the PTSD continue to compound and get worse and worse mm-hmm. until you finally feel And I always tell people, you know, people change when the pain they're in is greater than the fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. You know? So I think in regards to PTSD and being able to address it and acknowledge it, to your point, if somebody's been pre-exposed to trauma and stuff like that, and they kind of get conditioned to where, you know, bad is normal and good is bad, you know, mm-hmm. having this type of conversation, especially, you know, we don't know if DeMar Hamlin is ever going to touch a football field again. You know, we just don't, you know, once again, mm-hmm. if this was a freak injury and the prognosis over maybe the next year or so is, is good for him, he might decide mm-hmm. to return. But if mm-hmm. this is the pre-existing condition, Dr. Allen, you made a really great point. And I'm also somebody too. I didn't have the injury. DeMar had no even, not even a ballpark of it. But my career was cut short due to injuries. And it was something that I had no control over. And, you know, mm-hmm. the residual effects of that and the, and the consequences to that was very hard to deal with and navigate because I felt I internalized it and felt like it was something that I had to figure out myself. And a lot of our athletes, just like with sports, when you were trying to, you know, be a starter or, you know, be all conference, all American, you know, get to the next level, you internalize that and make it make it a mission of you, not us. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times, even in situations like this, a lot of athletes make this a, a mission of them and not the village around them. Mm-hmm. You, you said something else that you thought, and my husband texted me that connected a, a bunch of the dots some of the things you both said he one of the he said hank gathers and len bias when we were talking about mm. the different things that we see in right yeah. and i immediately to your point ronnie about knowing where you were when kobe passed and all that and i remember that right because one he died on my mom's birthday so i know exactly where i was yep he died on my mom's birthday so i know exactly where i was because we were getting ready to take her to lunch for her birthday and you mom in Aquarius she, I know or I like the for a reason I knew I knew or, I ain't never met her damn mom. I knew or, she, I remember Aquarius yeah shout out mama when you, Pitts. when you talk about when we were talking about how different things if some of these athletes in fact do receive a PTSD diagnosis mm-hmm. and how you never know how different things might trigger when he said Len Bias I remember exactly where I was when I got worked 
that Len Bias had, had died. I remember it like it was yesterday. And, and that's the, the type of stuff, like it can come out of nowhere. You can be fine one minute and then something triggers it and it comes back. And I think that it's important as we're supporting families for, for people to understand that the, the person that is suffering from PTSD may want to talk about what it is to transpire over and over and over and over and over again. And some of the things that they're saying may be hard to hear for the loved one that's trying to provide them support. So you have to be, you have to be proactive in knowing that so that you're, you don't fall into communication pitfalls. So that, you know, you don't say the wrong stuff. And that speaks to, to what you both said, both positively and, and my take on it, right? It's like, giving all credit where credit is due, all of the analysts, the commentators, reporters, everybody did an outstanding job in the moment of managing their own grief, of managing their own traumatic response to what was going on. But folks were clearly fighting back tears and struggling to speak and to maintain their composure and all of that. So the reporter that I was talking about, the analyst, I recognize that she was struggling. She was struggling and it was like that. That's why I said that nervous energy, right? Like, ha, 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 ha. I can't sit with the silence. Oh, I'm on the air. I got to say something. What do I say? But because it's nervous energy, you're saying a bunch of stuff. And it's like, shut up. <laughs> stop talking. You're, you're, but you can't stop talking because you're a reporter and you're on the air. And that's why avoiding those communication pitfalls are, are so important, right? Because you mess around and you say the wrong thing. And now that takes it, the, you were trying to provide positive support, but you said the wrong thing. And now it's on a whole nother level of emotional distress that it didn't need to be. And these individuals need to know that they can trust us, that they're safe with us, and that we're going to be instrumental in their healing trajectory. And in that, we got to know they're going to be triggered. This is not going to go away for a while. Yeah. This is not going to go away for a while. If it ever, it, the bills in the bank, it may never go away. It's right. like I said, you know, for when Len by, I was a huge Len Bias fan. So it was like, <sighs> you, you and remember. I, and I think, I think also too, you know, I think one thing, if there's one thing that if take away from this as a, as an athlete, whether student athlete, or professional athlete, I know, obviously, you know, they get routine physicals and stuff like that. Get your blood work done, get you, you know, get your heart checked out, get your, you know, head checked out, whatever, the, whatever extra things, you know, extra precautions you can take just to make sure that you don't find yourself in this type of situation, you know, possible. I, now, granted, nobody ever predicted this to happen. And, you know, who's to say this will ever happen again? Once again, I don't even know the, the odds of something like this happening. Um, but, you know, the, the physical precaution. We've seen so many times where athletes don't find out to their professional athlete that, you know, they have this, you know, condition or they have this heart defect or they have this, you know, brain condition where, no, you cannot play, you know? So, so that, that, that's a great segue to like monitoring and, and checking out with your, checking in with your athletes. So uh, athletes by nature tend to, um, you know, almost wear it as a badge of honor that they, they, they can play through injury. So right. if you have personal injury, then they're not, a, not not the emotive type. You have to actually kind of go to them to ask how they're doing. And yeah. uh, 
One of the things that was developed by the International Olympic Committee's Mental Health Work Group a few years ago was something called the SHMAT, the Sports Mental Health Assessment Tool, which would mm. you just watch? In a few years, it'll become standard procedure for every league to actually implement this for the team at the beginning, like in the offseason and or preseason. That actually every athlete will end up having to fill this out. And it's just a screening tool. It'll just be part of what they do. And if anything flags, they'll end up getting triaged accordingly. And it'll go, I'll be able to address this because otherwise, um, these are invisible injuries, right? Yeah. Yeah, man. I, you know, I, I really pray for uh, a, a healthy and full recovery for DeMar Hamlin. Um, and, you know, not physically, but also, you know, well, not just physically, but also emotionally and spiritually as well. Um, for him, his family, the team, Buffalo Bills, Cincinnati Bengals, the entire NFL and their friends and families. Because once again, as athletes, you know, we love to go out there and put on a show for our friends and families. And, you know, I always tell people, there's nothing better than being out there in between those lines, doing what you love. But when, you know, when you see something like that, it really puts it in perspective. And when we talk about this all the time, you know, and both of you all mentioned it about the athletic identity. And I say this to a lot of people, athletes, clients, whatever the case may be, we wear a lot of hats, you know, a lot of hats and a lot of different identities, but there's no identity more important than the identity of self. And at the end of the day, yes, that was a football player, but that was a human being. That was a son. I don't know if he has any kids or not, but he could be a brother, nephew, uncle, whatever the case may be. He wears a lot of hats, but that's DeMar Hamlin above all else. And, you know, I pray that, you know, he himself also recovering physically can get the the mental health um, resources and stuff like that to help him process what has happened to him and make sense of this and, and give him better, you know, resources and information and knowledge to help him move forward if he chooses to come back to the NFL to play football or if he has to transition, you know, to a, a, a life past sports, you know, at a very early age and, and obviously very unexpectedly. So, um yeah. Um, do any of one of you all have any final words or, or comments on, on today's topic? What I want to do is because I think that it's really important. Um, you know, we obviously we're all clinicians, so we ex we express the importance of seeking mental health support through these types of experiences. So I just want to give folks some insight on what they can expect if they go to see one of us to, to address PTSD. Um, because a lot of times, particularly for those individuals that have never seen a therapist, right? They might not know what to expect. So I just wanted to share real quick some goals that they could expect to, to have um, if they're going to see a clinician for PTSD. And then if you each wanna give a, a final point and then I'll close this out, that's okay. So for those of you that have never been treated for PTSD and are thinking now after listening to us today that, you know what, maybe I need to be assessed to see if I have it. And, and for those players who may be listening, some long-term goals of PTSD treatment. The purpose is to eliminate or reduce the negative impact trauma-related symptoms have on social, occupational, and family functioning to help you to return to the level of psychological functioning prior to exposure to the traumatic event, to help you to no longer experience intrusive event recollections, avoidance of event reminders, intense arousal or disinterest in activities or relationships, to help you to think about or openly discuss the traumatic event with others without experiencing psychological or physiological distress, 
to no longer avoid persons, places, activities, and objects that are reminiscent of the traumatic event, and to help you to recognize and to embrace the fact that life can be more satisfying with emotions stable and controlled, social, occupational, and family life are fulfilling. Now, in that, it's really important to understand this, and we didn't touch on it surprisingly enough. We didn't talk about the fact that we know that mental illness, there are, there are players all over the league that are already struggling with their mental health. So what does this type of event do to those individuals that already have pre-existing mental health issues? That is a critical element that we didn't touch on today, but we'll certainly touch on in, in upcoming episodes because that makes getting help that much more important. It's paramount. It's paramount because they're all straws that break camel's backs. Um, thank you both very much for having me on the show today and talk, to talk about such an important topic. Uh, last thoughts, you know, athletes tend to um, cope with stress in, in ways that sort of mask how they're feeling and compartmentalization and which can progress to dissociation is one way that they can do it because it's, it's protective in the moment. It's almost like white knuckling. You can, you can do, might be even protective in the short term, but in the long term, it can be incredibly destructive. So if they realize that, um, or once they've, once someone has identified that this person's probably struggling by checking in with them, you can sort of break that pattern so they can process you know, their feeling outside of, of sports so that it does what, what they're doing with, it's in a, um, a destructive pattern over time. Um, so anyway, just want to put a plug in. So I am a sports psychiatrist. I do tend to work with athletes. I will uh, do, do these screening methods. I can refer to folks in the community to do these uh, forms of therapy to actually help athletes that are struggling with history of trauma, both in the past as well as current. But the idea is, is being very mindful and grounded in the present and noting that there is always a path forward. All right. Thank you, Dr. And Dr. Allen, how can people uh, get your contact info and everything to reach out to you? Awesome, awesome. And um, I, I had a quick second to uh, to look up our uh, our guest on the show today. I, I see he is also, uh, and I hope I say his last name correctly, Zach Van Leeuwen, is also a uh, sports uh, mental health therapist um, out of Utah. So, Zach, we appreciate you joining us on the show today. Um, I see that you're a, a sports and mental health therapist alongside a, a licensed marriage and family therapist. So we'd love to have you back on the show so we can get you um, some of your thoughts and everything um and whatnot um there he doing, is. Sir? yeah so we appreciate you listening to the show i hope we um you know definitely uh shared a lot of uh, wealth of knowledge and information that um that you can pass along to other people as well but um we appreciate you logging in and everything um we love we're here every saturday 11 a.m eastern standard time so if you ever want to hop on more you're more than welcome to man we really appreciate you joining us today to listen in yeah. No, uh, thanks for having me. It was super helpful hearing everyone's insights. It was, it's you. been a crazy week with what happened Monday. So it was great to hear everyone's perspective and always learning new knowledge. So I appreciate it. No, no problem. We appreciate you, man, logging in, logging in. Thank you so much. Dr. Mark Allen, we appreciate you as always, man. You are a family member to the show. You are welcome back at any time, man. Thank you so much for your insight and knowledge. Um, well, Dr. Pitts, did you have anything else? No, that's it. Um, 
just we're, we're going to keep at this and, and we're going to make a difference when we can and where we can, because this is also very important. Who y'all got winning Monday? Who y'all got winning Monday night? Georgia or TCU? I'm going with TCU. I'll, put, I'll tell you this much. This better be the last year Alabama ain't in the playoffs. <laughs> Michigan disappointed me so bad. Like, after I, what I saw it was Alabama part of Harbaugh's exit strategy. He's going to the Broncos. <laughs> <laughs> he definitely he definitely pulled a Pete Carroll. Yes, that was part of his exit strategy. See, <laughs> he's he's definitely pulled a Pete Carroll. But um, I'm going dogs. I'm going dogs. You know, to, of course to you bring are. Back he always goes opposite of me, Doctor Allen. I'm going to hit bets a little bit here. So it's a it's a twelve and a half point spread. I won't be invited back home if I don't go for TCU. But I'll say TCU against the line. I think it's gonna. I, I think TCU shocked a lot of people um, last weekend, so I think it's gonna be a really good game. But I would say I say I would say roll tide, but they're not here. They'll be back next year though, so it's all good. But I think it's gonna be a really good game. But that's all we have for today, folks. Check us back next week, same time, same place. Doctor Allen, thank you again, Mister yeah. uh, Leo, and thank you again for logging in and joining us. Hope everybody has a prosperous and productive weekend this weekend. Yeah. Take care. We'll see you until next week. All right. Bye bye, everybody. Thank you.